In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, Amen. In the spirit of this week, I've been spending quite a bit of time reflecting on what I am thankful for this year. This year, I am thankful to be close enough to family that I can drive and see them for Thanksgiving. I'm thankful that I get along with that family (laughs) that's so close, and that they love and support me. I'm lucky. I'm thankful for my health, for my marriage, for the 47th anniversary this week of the ordination of women in the Lutheran Church in the United States, for the fact that I regularly have enough to eat, that I have a roof over my head, And this year, I am thankful for the people of Christ the Servant Lutheran Church who have opened their arms and hearts to me over the past four and a half months and have humbled me daily with their willingness to be vulnerable with me and to slog through this task of really actually trying to live well as Christian community. It's hard work and it's not easy, but I'm thankful for it. And it's been quite a year. And yet, in the midst of all of that gratefulness and joy tucked away in the back of my brain is fear and uncertainty in the face of the unknown. You see, just now, when I told you that I have been here for four and a half months, my brain did the math on how much time I get to have left with you. It's seven and a half months, by the way. And when I think about the roof that's over my head right now, I realize that I don't know where the next roof will be located. And when I remember that, when I think about the ordination of women in the Lutheran Church, I remember that next fall, by the grace of God, I'll be ordained, and I don't know where. I don't know where I might be called to serve. I don't know what those people will be like, or what their stories, or passions, or joys, or sorrows will be or what food they'll like to eat, or what football team they'll cheer for. (laughs) But I do know this. Meeting those people will mean saying goodbye to you. And yes, I know, that's part of what God's up to in this world and in this church. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that was terrifying for me. So, when I read today's, this week's passage, actually, from Jeremiah, it made me sit up and pay attention. These words are written by the prophet Jeremiah to the Israelites who have just been sent into exile. This community has been conquered by the Babylonians, a ruthless and powerful empire who have forcibly removed many of the Israelites from their homes and taken them to Babylon. A very, very long way away. This is a letter to a traumatized community who has lost everything. They've lost their loved ones. They've lost their homes. They've lost their beloved city, Jerusalem. And this is a people who believes that God lives in the temple, that it's in that holy structure where they encounter God and are met by God. And now the temple is destroyed. And they've lost their language and their culture and all the familiar representations of what their religious tradition looks like. Everything is different. They're in a new and unfamiliar place. The future looms with uncertainty, and they're terrified. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, 
Wow, Vicar Marissa, it seems a little extreme for you to relate to this experience. You just told us you're thankful for a roof over your head and a worship community, and that does not sound a lot like exile. And you're right, it doesn't. But here's the thing. I think all of us know what exile feels like. Exile is that feeling when you're isolated from people you care about. When Thanksgiving rolls around and you don't have someone to spend it with. Or you didn't get to spend it with the people you wanted to. Exile is when the depression or anxiety or compulsive drives or whatever it is for you comes creeping in, clouding your mind and filling you up to the brim until you feel like you just can't take it anymore. When the addiction taunts you in the face of sobriety and it hurts in your very bones. When you don't know where the next paycheck will come from or if it will come. When you're in the midst of treatment for your health, you don't know what comes next. When the switch to high school or college or life after college looms in front of you and you don't know what that's going to be like. Maybe when the place that you've lived your whole life has changed right before your eyes. Everything's different now. You long for the way things used to be. Whenever the future holds uncertainty of any kind, all of this is exile and all of us, all of us, are living in it. So what does God say to a people in exile? Well, God does not say what the Israelites expect or what we might expect either. God does not tell the people in exile to just be patient because this will end soon or to keep their bags packed because the situation could change at any moment. No, God, through the voice of the prophet Jeremiah, tells the people to, quote, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. The people in exile, in exile are told to build relationships and get married and throw celebrations and seek the welfare of the place they live because in Babylon's welfare, they will find their welfare too. This letter written by Jeremiah to a people who are praying endlessly to hear some good news in the midst of this very scary place is a letter that might at first sound like a letdown. Because you don't plant or build if you're leaving soon. The words of Jeremiah here seem to say, get ready because this is going to be a long one. But couched inside all of that is a reminder. Tucked inside that call to plant and to build and to get married and to throw parties and to seek the welfare of the whole community is a reminder that, yeah, the temple has been destroyed, and yeah, their religious practices look different here, but God has not been destroyed. God goes with the people in exile. God goes with them, and God goes with us. And when church might look a little different than what we're used to, or when Waukesha has just changed so much, or when Thanksgiving rolls around and it doesn't feel the same because the people we love dearly weren't sitting at the table with us, God is still there. And with God's everlasting presence is a promise. 
A promise that though the plans they have made for themselves have shattered in the face of the reality of the world, God's plan, God's plan for a future of abundance and justice and peace is still in motion. We see glimmers and glimpses of that plan shimmering through the brokenness of the world sometimes. We see it when God enters this world not as a powerful empire emperor, but as a tiny, fragile, vulnerable baby boy born in a dirty stable in the back streets of Bethlehem. When Jesus Christ comes to reign and puts himself not on a throne but on a cross, when Mary Magdalene comes running out of the garden on Sunday morning with the seemingly impossible news that her rabbi, teacher, friend, and savior just destroyed death, when Paul is changed by the word of God and goes on to work for the well-being of the Christian church, when the reformers care enough about God and the well-being of their communities that they hold church accountable for its mistakes and its abuses, when 47 years ago the Lutheran church in the U.S. recognized that God's up to something in the preaching and teaching of women too and we ought to be ordaining them, when we gather here every single week to remember our baptism, and to come to a meal that gives life and grace and love and all that we need. In all of these moments, we see glimpses of God's plan for a future that's better than anything we can possibly imagine. We see shimmers of the outstanding glory that we have been promised. And in between those glimpses, in between those shimmers, We still live in a broken world. We still live in exile. So in the meantime, when we're still living in between those glimpses of God's glory and promise of justice, peace, and new life, how shall we live? When the darkness is suffocating and it feels like too much, how shall we live God asks the Israelites to plant gardens, to build houses, to celebrate relationship, even in Babylon. God asks the Israelites and us to embody hope, to let the hope that we have in the promises that have been made for us to flow through our veins and to intoxicate us and change the way we encounter other people in this world to let hope seep into our brains so that, at the very least, when those thoughts of self-doubt and anger show up, or when we refuse to see our neighbor as a human being, or when we only want to try to understand other people through categories that make us feel good about ourselves, at the very least, another thought might occur aside it. One that whispers in our ear, God is about so much More than this. God asks the Israelites to grab shovels and push them into the dirt and with every scoop of ground to cling to the hope that plants will grow there and to the hope that someday God promised to feed the whole world with righteousness and love and to fill our bellies with compassion and wholeness. God asks them to remember that the food they eat is a glimpse of a feast that will never, ever end. 
What would it mean for us, for us, to plant a garden in the midst of exile? What would it mean for us to embody hope? Perhaps it means choosing to think twice about judging someone this week. Maybe it means taking seriously someone who we would usually write off. Maybe it means spending time with children and teaching them about God's promises. Or choosing to believe that real justice and peace are possible. Or in the midst of a really bad moment, when you're exhausted and when your plans fall through, to stand at a sink, to get your hand wet, and to make the sign of the cross on your forehead and remember that even here in exile, you are baptized. Whatever it means for us, whatever it means for us, I know this. All of that begins with the meal that we're about to share today. All of it. Because it's through bread and wine that hope enters our bodies. And it's not through the hard work that we do or the conjuring up that we do. Hope is a living, breathing thing that is a sheer gift from God and enters our bodies at this table. And God asks us to remember that it's there through the rest of the week. God asks us to cling to the promises that have been made for us and to embrace and embody the hope that we have been given. So, grab a shovel. God has asked us to plant a garden. May we be strengthened to do the work of hoping, even in the midst of exile. Amen.